From the News Channel 5 Network, this is the Tecus McGinnis Elder Care Law Hour. Good morning and welcome to Tecus McGinnis Elder Care Law Hour. I'm your host, Barbara McGinnis, and today we're going to be talking, like always, about aging, disability, and unexpected illness. Our usual co-host, Tim Takis, is on vacation, and subbing for him today is our new partner attorney, Chris Johnson. So welcome, Chris. Thank you, Barbara. As you're aware, November is Alzheimer's Awareness Month, so today we're going to be talking about therapies for dementia and other related diseases. Before we bring in our guests, Barbara and I would like to take a moment to discuss capacity. A question as attorneys that we often get asked is related to dementia is the capacity for decision making. How is, how is it determined whether or not an individual has capacity to make decisions for themselves? So. So the first one I want to start with, Barbara, is does cognitive impairment equal lack of decision making? No, it does not. Certainly cognitive impairment is part of and taken into consideration with uh, the capacity to make decisions. But there's variability in um, cognitive impairment. Mm -hmm. You can start with, obviously, you start with mild cognitive impairment, um, which may not interfere with somebody's ability to make decisions at all. And then on the other side of that question, when you're saying oh, decision-making capacity, the question you always ask is, what are we asking them to make a decision about? Because there's variable levels of capacity that you need to make certain decisions, right? Depends right. on what you're asking them to do. So they're part of each other, but they're not mutually, um, they're not synonymous. So just because someone has some cognitive impairment. And I would think that, I do think people are too quick to say, they have a dementia diagnosis, this person has a dementia diagnosis, therefore we can't ask them to make any decision. And that's absolutely incorrect, absolutely. So if someone does have capacity to make decisions, but not others, how do we go about making those decisions as attorneys? Well, that's difficult. You have to kind of look at the totality of the circumstances and based upon, as you noted, the individual decision that they're making, does that person in making that decision have an ability to take in all the re relevant facts and make a rational decision? And as you said, depending on the level of decision, do they have the decision to pick out their clothes that morning? They sure. probably do. Do they have the decision to uh, execute a simple legal document? Well, you talk to them about the document and you ask them questions about the document and you try and get feedback. And I also like to take into account just are they aware of their surroundings? Do they know what day it is? Do they know who the president is? Little things like that I ask and just see, hey, do they have some self-awareness about what's going on? Do we use any particular assessment tools to help us with make that decision as attorneys? Not really any specific assessment tools. And the reason is those are best left to the clinicians. And if yeah. you have a question where you get to the point that you're questioning their capacity so much that you think it's time to bring in an assessment tool, it's yeah. probably also time to bring in a professional. Um, and, and you know, honestly, I would think that elder law attorneys, we're, we're used to working with older people, and, and that's really what we're talking about today, older people with impaired decision or impaired cognition, and how do those two, we're a little bit more comfortable with those, those uh, capacity standards than maybe a general practitioner who's used to working with 
no question of impairment for right. uh, uh, people, right? And, and I think that's absolutely yeah. correct. And what that comes down to is the experience factor. Yeah. When you see it every single day and you deal with individuals who might be starting to slide down the scale every single day, yeah. you, you get a good sense of this is someone who still understands what's going on vice someone who, who really is struggling. And speaking of that, so who decides whether or not someone has capacity to make healthcare decisions for themselves? So healthcare decision questions, that's an informed consent process and that would be the provider that's, that's asking them to make, so the medical provider that's asking them to make a decision about healthcare. You know, when we, when we have a, a healthcare power of attorney document, it says that the person remains in control until they're incapacitated. Again, I contend that capacity is variable depending on what we're asking them to do. Right. If it's, you know, Mr. Johnson, will you take this pill for your blood pressure? That's a, that's a lower, perhaps, level of capacity that you're gonna have to understand. You know, I need to take this pill and I'm willing to take this pill for my blood pressure versus Mr. Johnson, will you consent to giving, a, you know, a kidney transplant to your brother? You know, that's, that's, a, right. that's a little bit more involved sort of, um, level of understanding what the all those relevant factors are so it's informed consent and it would be the physician that's um, that's prescribing or the the practicing that the treating person that's where it's really important to have a good health care power of attorney that does understand what your what your uh, baseline values and wishes would be how you historically have felt about certain treatment modalities mm -hmm. because you know there is a little bit of controversy assigned to some things like blood transfusions and dialysis treatment before you get involved with those things but even the legal documents that we ask people to to sign different levels of capacity are required. Mm -hmm. So there's a different level of capacity for a power of attorney versus a will, mm -hmm. right? That's right. So, and then the other thing that we have to take into consideration is they don't have to always remember their decision. They have to be able to make a good decision based on the facts at the time. So we're talking about moments of lucidity, um, that whole good day versus bad day thing, right? That's Have you ever exactly been in those right. spots? Yes. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I guess that kind of leads into that next, into the very next question about variable capacity and, and does it have to be sustainable day after today, day it, after day? It absolutely does. And the, and the answer to that is no, it doesn't have to be sustainable day after day. We talk about people who have the sunsetter and sundown syndrome where they tend to lose things at the end of the day. You want to catch them at the beginning of right. the day. And again, it's, it's kind of going through not any formal assessment tool, but just in your interactions with them. Do they have a, a reasonable understanding of all the facts and are they making a rational decision based upon that? Can they do that? And as your interactions with them, if today is what you said, like a proverbial good day, then that's absolutely correct. That's the right time to do that. And if they have a bad day, can you wait? Can you put off a signing until perhaps they have some lucidity back? Absolutely. In fact, that would be the right thing to do. You don't want to rush a document through because, well, right. we just really want to get this signed. You can't do that. You have to wait until they, they possess the requisite knowledge and understanding. And there's factors, there's things that we can do to help them. We know that anxiety might make someone um, not make a good decision or be less capable of expressing understanding. So if there's things we can do to minimize their anxiety, maybe it's us go to them as opposed to them come to our office, mm -hmm. making sure that they can see and hear. 
uh, because all of those factors don't go away just because they have dementia. We have to take all of that person's factors into consideration. That's right. So speaking about taking all those factors into consideration, what happens where you get that tension where mom or dad might be making a decision that the children disagree with and, and might even be what could be looked upon as a bad decision? When you have that tension, where, where is the right answer between stepping in and, and preventing mom or dad making a bad decision while still allowing them to make decisions for themselves? So just because someone's older doesn't mean they're not allowed to make bad decisions, but you look into the context of does this fit historically with them? Is this something that they would um, have, same decision they would have made a year or two ago? You know, is this a pattern that they would have? And is there some way that you can tactfully stall and say, you know, maybe we need to research this a little bit better, you know, and, and let's have another conversation about it and see if they're still making that same decision in a week or so. Um, you know, maybe they don't need to buy that new car just right off or the RV. Maybe we can stall those sorts of decisions out. Well, anyway, I think this is a, you know, a great setting the stage for what we're going to be talking about, dementias and alternative therapies. And we're going to come back and we're going to talk some about how to help people stay healthy with Parkinson's disease when we come back from this break.